Streaming at Outkick.com. Hot mic rolls on. Sixth and Peabody, the home of Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Putnam Withrow. Chad, NFL owners meetings going on. AJ Perez from Front Office Sports. He's there. He'll join us in about 20 minutes. Um, and we'll get into the financials of Washington Commanders. They're, they now have two bids of the qualifying offer, at least for Daniel Snyder. He wanted $6 billion. There are now two fully funded bids for the Snyders to look over from different ownership groups, including Michael Harris and Magic Johnson, um, for $6 billion. So he's going to get what he wants to leave, and the owners are going to vote through whoever is going to end up being the guy that, or the, the group that the Snyders approve. It's not going to be Bezos, based on the news out of the owners' meetings today. We'll ask uh, AJ about that, plus uh, a lot more straight ahead. Start, though, with the preseason. It's already awful. It's a money grab. It's a part of your season ticket package if you're an NFL season ticket holder. Thankfully, they've added an extra regular season game, so there's only three of these now. But, Chad, tell me what you think of when you think of this new adjustment to the preseason training camp. The NFL now is no longer going to have the stair-step cutting down the roster process. On August 29th, they will now go from 90 to 53 the, after the final preseason game. So every NFL team will have 90 players in camp. And that means you will get the fourth, fifth, and sixth stringers playing the majority of the preseason that fans are paying for. Yeah, that's to, to break it down, if people aren't understanding what we're saying. They were barely playing anyway, the starters. You're going to have the 37 people that will be cut. Right. Playing in almost all, the majority of all of these games. So if you're on the field for the bulk of a preseason game, you are one of the 37 that will get cut in the end from 90 down to 53. That's the way I take it. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. So that, well, they're doing this because they want to keep certain guys healthier, right? The quarterbacks, of course. But beyond that, the, the starting quarterbacks were barely playing. Um, but it's also the, the depth, the quality of the depth around the league especially on the offensive line. That's where teams were really hurt over the last two years. That's why they're doing this. And my guess is, if you're an NFL, I, if I were the general manager and head coach, I would load up on offensive linemen and play the scrubs. Play, play the guys that will eventually be in the spring leagues or, or were, were in the spring leagues and are trying to carry that over. And if they make the roster, great. You get a look at them. They can go in the practice squad, whatever. But that's where you're not going to get your first and second team on your offensive line banged up and then your quarterback ultimately is affected by it Hun, let me throw out this proposal and see what you think yeah one preseason game okay. instead of three and a nice round even number of 18 regular season games have your one game you get your one preseason game one, well in here's what to help with whatever your evaluation process is for the end of your roster along with the practices everyone's participating in yeah you cut it down to 53 after that one preseason game happening about 10 days to two weeks before the kickoff of your season. And then you add the one regular season game, and instead of having 17, you have 18, and you roll with that. Is um, that going to make some drastic difference for the workload of the player? I know the NFLPA will push back on that. Yeah, for more money. Well, as long as you get more players. So the, the NFL added more, they added another roster spot, right? And they expanded the the practice squad. So more players are getting paid instead of sitting out and, and waiting to get signed. 
What I would prefer for the preseason is one preseason game and then two scrimmages against another team. The joint practices are where you see more of the actual ones on, against ones. Brady was here last year. Or wasn't here last year. That was the big story, actually. The Bucks were here. Brady wasn't here last year. Um, we've seen the Falcons and the Panthers prior to that with the joint practices. That's where I see the, the best bang for your buck. And charge 10 bucks and give it to charity if you're an NFL team. Open up the stadium and do it that way. But instead, they have to pose these games for these local networks that, and act like it's, you know, this football's back. It's not. It's not. Not until they play. But, I mean, you still get the one practice game in that way. I just, I don't watch, an example is the college game. I don't watch the opening weekend of college football and think, man, we were really robbed by not seeing these guys in a scrimmage. Before this game happened. Well, the scrimmage is normally who they schedule. Normally. A lot of times, but we were seeing more and more big games That's that right. week. My point is, regardless of opponent, it's the first game that counts. And you don't have games that don't count before that. I don't feel like you're robbed in college football when that happens. So I don't see a need for it in the NFL. Now, coaches will respond and tell me and everyone else all the reasons they need it. They need the work. They need to evaluate the back end of the roster, all these things. It's a great opportunity for these undrafted guys to get out there and play an NFL game. The only problem is it's not an NFL game. It is a glorified scrimmage among participants that won't make the team, most of them not having any chance to make the the team. So cut it down to one. Give us all the fans one more regular season game that everyone will enjoy and everyone will watch, and then roll with it that way. I I would love for that to happen. I get that the NFLPA – is going to want to demand more money for that, and they're going to talk about health and safety concerns. All of that could be true. I understand all of it. Doesn't stop me from wanting less preseason and more regular season. Uh, a story that Armando had at outkick.com, uh, the Jets are in nowhere close to wanting to give up a first-round pick to Green Bay in exchange for Aaron Rodgers this year. The report from Charles Robinson at Yahoo goes as this. Second rounder this year, second rounder next year, that could become a first round pick if Rodgers has some performance qualifications that hits a certain level, namely like the last, what, two of the last three years that he's reached, certainly not last year. Uh, It could move to a first round pick from New York, but the Jets want a pick back if Rodgers decides to retire after 2023. So instead of the second round pick, you know, it could could end up just not being costing there. Or, the Packers. Or something. we're giving you a second round, give us a fourth round back if he retires. So when we had Andrew Brandt on, you know, he talked about all the possible scenarios and he said this would this would be the easiest part of the trade to work out. The escalator clause for the draft pick. And I remember him saying specifically fourth to second. The pushback will be the Jets will want it to be the second, that it caps at a second-round pick. Obviously, the Packers would want a first-round pick. This would be an interesting way to offset that. Mm -hmm. So if you're the Jets, you agree to, okay, if he meets the standards of two seasons ago or three seasons ago, you get your first-round pick back. But he's got to come back and play the next year, too. So that could help offset some of that. If not, then you're giving us a pick in return. I think that sounds pretty fair for both sides, personally. I understand where Green Bay's coming from, though, because the Jets, theoretically, will have a higher first-round pick this year than next year that they could potentially give up. And if Rodgers is coming back, then 
they've got their roster set with young guys around him already anyway. So Green Bay would rather have the higher first-round pick now as opposed to a lower first-round pick a year from now. I just think you have to be very careful if you are the Jets because we have to remember, they have to get this done. They're the ones that are putting everything out there for this season and possibly the next one with Aaron Rodgers. He has publicly stated he wants to be traded to your team. You know this is the best and maybe only option right now for you to truly compete for a championship. you got to make it happen. The Packers are sitting there thinking, we're probably not going to be that good this year yeah, either way. They're saying, you want number 12, give us number 13 Then you're overall. going to have to give us what we want. So in the negotiation, you just got to be very careful. You can, you can you know, go back and forth on this and – we don't want it. This, uh, this is such a high pick. We don't give up, we give up first and all of those things. But you better be very careful how you play this game and how long you want to wait. Because ultimately, the Packers know the Jets have to do this one way or the other. They know that. Well, the, the mandatory veteran minicamp is June 13th through the 15th. That is when they absolutely need to have their quarterback. But prior to that, if they get through the draft and they get through the second wave of free agency and they start going into these rookie OTAs and voluntary OTAs for the team and Rodgers isn't on the Jets roster yet, the ripple effect across the league, what, what does that mean for Ryan Tannehill, Lamar Jackson, and the offers that could come his way there if Rodgers doesn't end up getting traded Whew. by a certain amount of time? I mean, if you are Lamar Jackson... You're hoping that that happens. If you're still sitting out there, that 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 ups the market for you. If no deal can be reached, yeah, no doubt. Um, Ursay has said, "Oh, money, money's not an option, but I'm not into giving up uh, fully guaranteed deals." Uh, what he commented on Lamar Jackson's availability. Jim Ursay at Indy is willing to talk to anybody, and meanwhile, we don't hear many quotes from owners whatsoever. From the owners' meetings. Jim Irsay has a way of just finding a way, even a, a, like not in the lobby area where most people are talking. Yeah. He's got his own, he holds court elsewhere where every reporter can just go find him and he's just sitting there answering any question that you want to you answer. Think he has the guitar with him? I mean, it's trip? perfect. Think he has the guitar with him on this trip? I think that if you asked him to sing a little ditty, he probably could. Something that he's written from his own personal catalog. I think he'd perform for you if, if you asked nicely. So, uh, Davey Hudson sent this to us yesterday. There's a Chiefs super fan. Uh, he, he dresses like a, a wolf. Is that right? Chiefsaholic uh, is what he goes by. Um, Xavier is his name. Social media guru in Kansas City. And he, he's accused of robbing a bank in Oklahoma, and he's on the run. Uh, a $1 million bond warrant is out for his arrest. And all I can think of is you have Chief Saholic dressed as a wolf being chased by all these bounty hunters right now trying to, trying to grab the warrant for the $1 million bond to bring him back and then what it would take to get him out once you capture him. Well, the best part is he's you know, bragging on social media about his side hustle. And, and you know, hey, I, I gamble, but it's responsible because I make a good living, but I also have a side hustle. And now coming to the understanding that the side hustle is, in fact, robbing banks. Truly remarkable. Of this guy. He was already on an ankle monitor. And he cut that. Why are ankle monitors so easy to cut? Seems like it should be harder to cut one of those things off. And if it's cut, you should know that it is. Like, I feel like there should be an alarm there. Yeah, I mean, there are, um, 
you know, they make plastics now that would be hard to cut through. Yeah. I think that we've reached the technological point in engineering where you could also easily just put an ankle monitor on someone that you could not remove unless someone came in and removed it. It's like the thing at the store they have to remove, right? With the own the special tool they have. If you go to the uh, department store, they got to take it off that way. Yeah. That should be the ankle monitor. And then half the time, the, the person working that doesn't know how to get it off. Yeah. Only the authorities know how to take it off. They have a special job for someone there that knows how to remove the ankle monitors with a special tool, and that's it. That way, the person who's wearing the ankle monitor can't take it off at all. Seems pretty simple to me. Especially if you're dressed as this super fan. Where, I mean, you can't even see his face here because there he is. There's Chief Sahali. Yeah, I mean, this, this would be – I'd hope he wears a different mask to go Rob Banks because he seems to have some notoriety and fame in KC. So he, someone may recognize him around. Oh, that's the chief super fan I see on TV during the games because you got to switch up the mask. That would be the key to this if you want to pull off the bank robbery. Either way, really stupid crime by apparently a very stupid person. Yeah, man, stop letting them out on bail for doing something that they just went and did again for more. Uh, more of the story, uh, outkick.com, uh, through the New York Post there. Chad, so $6 billion is the offer that's been made by two groups now to the Washington Commanders for the franchise and the Snyders. Um, well, here's Mike McDaniel, head coach of the Miami Dolphins, his reaction when he learned about the value of the most, the, the most money that's going to be brought in for any franchise in America, period, regardless of sport. Wow, the organization's worth that much? And, you know, I couldn't get free coffee? Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love this guy when, when he's saying that. It's not going to stop at $6 billion. If we have two bidders right now that have reached the $6 billion threshold, I mean, I think it's going to go well, up from there. Yeah, well, but it also has to be... so. Which group is Snyder going to sell to? He's got to, he's got to want to sell it, and he's getting exactly... It's like if you're buying a home and the asking price is whatever, and you meet that asking price, you're not going to negotiate to get more. Well, let's say it's just the two bidders, okay? Yeah. I, I'm just... I'm gonna and, 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 and I'm Daniel gonna Snyder's cool with both. I'm going to quarterback this multi-billion dollar deal right now, having watched uh, Succession this past week. I'm, I'm an expert now. $6 billion, both offers right at $6 billion. Yeah. If you're Daniel Snyder, you simply go to the group you like more and say, we can close this thing out right now for 6.5. If you go to that, well, it's over. I'm not even going to go back to the other group because here's the I'd rather sell to you. But see, I look at it from the league's point of view. The league, there's no coincidence that it came out today while the, after a report was this wasn't going to be discussed, that you have... The, the two different bids meet the qualifications of what Snyder wanted. And I think the league comes back in a negotiation with Snyder and says, hey, uh, cooperate with Mary Jo White, who's doing this internal investigation. Reportedly, you're not doing that. And we'll vote this through, and you can have your $6 billion and move on. And we get rid of you. Like, pick one. Which one do you want to go with? We're going to vote them through. We're tired of this. At least that's how I would treat it. Who, who knows what Snyder... Snyder's so unpredictable. Well, though. the delicate dance, though, of league and other owners with Daniel Snyder. Right. And how no one will play hardball with him. Because then he doesn't sell. At least you get the sell price up a, a, mil, a billion and a half off of what Denver sold for. And then all the owners' franchises go up and value that much more. A.J. Perez will know about this from Front Office Sports. 
He's in Phoenix at the owners' meetings, and he knows the finances behind the league. That's next on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow. Got a lot to get to with our next guest. A.J. Perez joins us from front office sports and joins us from beautiful Arizona where the NFL owners meetings have dominated the uh, sports discussion today. A.J., thank you for the time, man. And uh, the report on the $6 billion offer, it's now times two. We have two different groups with fully funded offers for Daniel Snyder to consider for purchase of the Washington Commanders. Tell us about the two groups and the other owners' response to this news. Yeah, the, there is uh, the report. Guide. We have two reports out of ESPN today. Josh Harris's group, uh, I was able to confirm that there was a bid uh, through multiple sources. And one of the what the, the bid was, uh, I was told, was for Harris's bid, as it stands now, is between five and a half and six billion dollars. So not quite at six. And then we have the Canadian uh, real estate executive who, uh, who also, uh, yes, been recorded bid around six, a bid $6 billion. Although my sources are kind of pushing back a little bit, wondering whether, um, whether this individual has, has the, uh, has the, uh, financial, you know, wherewithal to acquire an NFL team. Was this a recent one from, from the Canadian real estate mogul? Is, is this out of, you know, out of the blue? Has this been discussed? Was he always in the mix uh, with the owners to get approved? Yeah. Yeah, so let me say his name here. It's always uh, it's always fun. I don't know, make sure I said it. Uh, Steve Apostolopoulos. Yeah, it's uh, his name just came up a couple weeks ago, um, and uh, and uh, we've kind of he was one of the one of the well, handful of people we know visited uh, the commanders uh, team facilities. We don't know when exactly it was. I was told it was probably uh, more than a month ago. Um, we, but we hadn't really heard, seen a, a bid from him. We we have reports that Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Rockets, about a month ago, Washington the Washington Post reported his bid is around five and a half billion. And then we still don't know what Jeff Bezos is doing. Um, so there's a lot of uh, questions around whether you know what his uh, he's I would he, he's still out there. He's still considered a contender. Uh, but we really don't know uh, you know if he's going to bid and how much if he does so. At this point, is it about which of these offers Daniel Snyder will accept? of the different ownership groups. And I'm, I'm guessing the NFL owners are saying, accept whichever one you want at this point, because the news is getting out this week. To me, it's coming straight from where you are. And we, we know about the offers because the NFL owners are going to vote this through at least two thirds, three fourths, I should say. And, and probably yeah. with 31 votes unanimous. Exactly. A lot of the owners really don't know what's going on. Kind of like, uh, you know, they're uh, they're kind of just watching like we all are. Um, they don't get a lot of updates. One of the reasons for that is uh, the, the second NFL outside investigation led by Mary Jo White is still ongoing. We still don't know when that's going to come out. And that that's looking at the financial uh, improprieties alleged against Snyder and the commanders. And there's also uh, one harassment allegation that the, that Mary Jo White, she's a former head of the SEC, is also investigating. Uh, we're going to have Goodell out here in a couple hours. We'll ask him for an update. He probably won't give us one. Um, he's been saying that it'll when, when it's done, it's done basically. So that's kind of hanging over Dan Snyder and the commanders at, at you know during this time. And we don't know when that report's going to come out. The next owner meetings in May, and the people I've been talking to think we'll have at least some, at least. Likely, maybe it's more of like a blind, blind faith here that before the next owners' meetings, that Snyder will will, will have picked somebody. But either way, this report's going to come out most likely uh, either 
either before May, after May, but uh, after not releasing uh, the full the full report last time, uh, the first investigation of the team, there's a lot of pressure to release it. It doesn't feel like in this case with Daniel Snyder that it, it's just simply a top bidder will get the team and he's going to sell to anyone. We know about his history with Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post coverage of him and how he hates Bezos. Is there a preferred buyer that you can tell that Snyder would prefer to sell to between the two that have already made the qualifying offer? Or would this be more of a top bidder will get the team scenario? If it was any other sale, it'd be top bidder who gets the team. It's not only top bidder. There's been cases over the last handful of teams that went for sale where the top bidder didn't get it. And usually why the top bidder did not get it is because there there were issues over whether that person had you know, had, had, had the money, you know, to actually operate, to buy and operate an NFL team. They're really concerned about that. You know, there's debt limits in place uh, for all owners. And also in, that, that includes new owners who are approved. If you can't finance it, you can't finance all of it. You know, there's, there's thresholds you have to meet. And to do that, you know, it's, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of money. And uh, Jeff Bezos being the third richest person in the world, obviously has that. So th- basically that that's, it's up to Dan Snyder to do the vetting and Bank of America who's doing the process, but it's also up to the NFL once the application goes in to make sure this person has the, uh, you know, has the money there to not only buy the team, but to operate it. A lot of times with players will see it. It's, it's not because one player is necessarily better than the other, but just that their time is up, that they're the next one in that position group to make more money in a long-term contract. And it goes on and on and on. Is it going to be the same with NFL teams? Example, the Seattle Seahawks, when they go up for sale, is that automatically just going to be more because it's the next one? Or is Washington a special case where their valuation is bigger than Seattle and they're going to the next team sold if it's Seattle will actually go lower than this Washington sell? Yeah, you're buying what the commanders were 23, 24 years ago before Dan Snyder bought it. Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's not much uh, you know you're buying because you're buying. We saw what the NFLPA put out there as far as the facilities and the travel and everything else. Uh, so there's really you know there's a lot of work to do. But this team was a top three franchise, and you're, so you're 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 buying it with the hopes that it will become you know it, it it'll it'll go back to the glory days of RFK and the Hogs. You're 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 buying that, but to get there, you're gonna have to spend uh, three to four billion dollars in a new stadium and make a lot of other upgrades. Well, and I think that's the next part of this. So from the other owner's perspective, the question I would have is, okay, which of these bids is most likely to also include extra cash flow to build a new stadium in Washington, which is desperately needed? And it's also the political game, right, of of trying to get funds if you don't have them versus a guy who would come in and just build the stadium as Jerry Jones would do. Yeah, exactly. It's going to take a lot of money. I know it's going to be a lot to, and to get RFK back in play, a lot of lobbying in, in, in Washington. That land around RFK is controlled uh, by, well, it's controlled by the federal government. It's National Park Service land. So the Congress would need to basically transfer to the D.C. government, um, the city, um, the District of Columbia. And uh, and from there, the mayor and the council members will you know, be able to do something with that site because right now their hands are tied and it's going to take a lot of a lot of wherewithal because it's going to, you know, there's a there's a lot of push to put low, uh, uh, affordable housing on that site. There's a push to uh, make it more something that more most of the city can use outside of a football stadium every Sunday. AJ Perez with us. You can follow him on social at by AJ Perez. He's with Front Office Sports. I, I saw the tweet. So you've got uh, it was a report, I believe, roughly a year ago that that 
Snyder had surveillance on Jerry Jones, was filming Jerry Jones or something behind the scenes. And you saw someone that is connected to Snyder at the owners' meetings. Dan Snyder's not there, by the way, for those listening or watching. Um, uh, an advisor to Dan Snyder, a former counsel, I believe, to Dan Snyder, was seen filming Jim Ursay, who has been very vocal, as vocal as it gets, really, among the owners. Um, what? How did you notice this? What was he doing at the time? Both both guys, what was Ursay discussing? Ursay has been very muted since October, after he said what he said about merit, for, merit to removal. You know, that put, a, that put a bullseye on him, for sure, uh, and uh, among, among Snyder's people. And I, we, I noticed that yesterday where I, when, when Ursay was talking, I turned to my right, I see, I see Norm, the, 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 the attorney, uh, um, you know, filming. And I thought that was weird. When I tried to swing around, take a photo, he left before I could snap one. And I saw him last night after the party in the, in the lobby here at the hotel. And, you know, he, I, I asked him what he was doing. So that was pretty much it. But, I mean, he really, no, no, I know no answer, but you could even get a feeling for what he was doing. No, I mean, it's, you could, you could, you could, ESPN had a gathering, that gathering dirt story in October. And I don't want to infer, but that could be something uh, along those lines. Final thing for you, AJ. In, we are in an era where media companies are claiming that they're broke and they can't spend money, but they do when it, in regards to the NFL and the, the media that are sent to the NFL owners meetings now compared to the Stanley cup final or an NCAA tournament game is there, there is a drastic difference between the two. Yeah, definitely. And he, you, you, you two have been on uh, NFL for the, for the, for the Super Bowl media row, you know how many people come out to this. Uh, and it's a little different for the owners. We think it's more of business and the beat reporters here than uh, people in barrels naked asking questions. Um, but uh, like you do at the, uh, like you see at the uh, Super Bowl, but there's uh yeah, there's a lot, you know, there's, this is a huge business, you know, several, you know, uh, there's, of all the beats, the NFL beat is not going to be one that most uh, sports organizations, news organizations are, are going to cut back on. What's the biggest question you have for Goodell whenever he speaks later today? Uh, we'll get an update about uh, the, the investigation into the, uh, in, into the commanders. Um, that's probably the first one. And also we, we uh, coming up is going to be whether there's going to be flex scheduling Thursday night football. That's going to be a pretty close vote if there's going to be a vote here. How, how big do you think that is of a point for the league? to have that flex scheduling on Thursday night based on the backlash and, quite frankly, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit pointing out a year ago just how bad some of those Thursday night games were. Yeah, and it's got to – how do you fix it without, without um, you know, uh, you know, there's issues over injury, you know, whether injuries are – even though the league says they're, they're not any higher on Thursday night football – you know, when you, when you've got, uh, when you when you switch games to Thursdays, it creates only a three full days of rest and late in the season at that. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see if they're, uh, you know, whether, whether that will pass or not, or whether it'll be discussed again in May. AJ, thank you for the time, man. Great stuff as always. We'll catch up soon. Sounds good. Thanks. AJ Perez, front office sports there. The other details on this. So you've got Amazon paying a billion dollars for that schedule right and by by all accounts the ratings were really good based on the projections um with the stream but there are owners that are pushing back on the flex scheduling based on the the timetable it, so i think the proposal is a team would be notified if they're scheduled for sunday and they want to move that game up to a thursday night game 15 days prior and there's pushback on whether or not that is enough time to make that happen. 
but you also need you need to go up to the deadline to find out if a game's going to be worthy of being flexed uh, because two weeks is is quite a lot of time in the NFL, you know, as far as what the significance would be. It would definitely help Prime Video and Amazon mm-hmm. if that happened, but they've signed the deal already, so this would seem more like a good negotiating ploy after this deal is up. Well, when they're when they're trying to pitch out, but I mean, other bidders for Thursday night football. But if it makes at, the package worth even more, if you look at some of the games though on paper, if I mean, and it's revisionist history, but on paper it didn't suck. The matchups, it just turned out that it, it turned out that every game was awful because Denver was on, on them quite. You know, you've got all the all the teams still have to be on Thursday night, but it wasn't like they took the two worst teams in a division like we would see routinely on the NFL Network package and just threw them into the mix. It, they did try to actually get a bump in ratings by putting Dallas paired with another team that would traditionally not pull a rating. But because the Cowboys are on, well, the Cowboys were on. Brady was on there a couple times. See, it's just it, it would be odd to me from the money standpoint because you're not going to rip up the contract and renegotiate with Prime Video and charge them more. Now that they get flex games. So the league would not see more money, but it would help the league from a perception standpoint. But was the perception ding really that badly because you had Broncos Colts play a terrible Thursday night game last year? I don't think so. I mean, it's an issue. You don't want games late in the season that don't matter uh, between two bad teams on Thursday night in that lone window. But I don't know that it matters enough to just do it to save face for the league where you're not getting more money. I think if the contract is up next go around and you allow for this and you can vote it in, that's going to lead to more money for the league, which that's what they want in the end. And, and maybe they do it where there's only a certain part of the schedule that can be flexed, like they used to do um, for Sunday night football. And well, they still can. They, you can be flexing. They flex those games much earlier now than what they did when they originally signed that deal with NBC. Chad, Clemson... Uh, we haven't seen them in the college football playoff. It's, I was going to say a while. It's been two years, I think. <laughs> so, it's yeah. a long time for them. Yeah, it is. Big drought. It is. Uh, Dabo says, hey, Clemson's never been in a better spot. Um, it, it, Clemson went to six playoffs in a row. They didn't make it. What's wrong with them? Dabo's saying this. There's nothing wrong with Clemson. There's nothing wrong with our program. In fact, I would argue, honestly, our program has never been better. And he's pointing to the roster, the of course, the program with the internally with everyone working behind the scenes, but Chad, it may be fine now. I can't, I can't stop thinking about the money that's about to come in for the other conferences compared to what Clemson and what he's going to see come in for what Clemson means to the ACC. Well, their demise has been greatly exaggerated. They would have been in the new playoff, twelve-team playoff. They would have been in this year. You know, had the new rules been in play. And, and this LSU was a, would have been out. This was a bad year for them, right? And they still would have been in the playoff. So that's a good thing. So I, I get what he's saying. I don't think Clemson football is in trouble when you compare them to other programs, especially given the lack of top-level competition right now in the ACC. But it's not the best it's ever been. The best it's been is when Trevor Lawrence was coming back multiple years and you were making a run. That's the best the program's been. This isn't it. Well, they have Garrett Riley coming in as their offensive coordinator, but I, I could also point to that because for years they just retained the same coaches. A lot of continuity on offense and defense. And, of course, they've got continuity with their head coach. 
But the if you're in a position though to take a commitment from a player and enforce this program only rule that they can't even go on a visit after that, or you pull their offer, it's a pretty good spot to be in. So I can't argue with that. That's a good culture. I mean, if you're willing to do that with all the opportunities guys have and put put your foot down and say, when you commit to Clemson, you're committed. No other, if you go on another visit, then you're gonna your spot's gonna go to someone else. To have that power over recruits, that's strong. Power over Clemson's recruits, but that spot. Don't you? I, I I have to believe there will be more recruits that say, okay, yeah, I am going to go on another visit and take another offer. And if you if you want to cut me from the the scholarship offer, so be it, because I'm going to Alabama or Georgia. I mean, those are the other two that come to mind if you're competing against Davo Sweeney and Clemson. I would hope so. But I mean, it's. But NIL is a different ball game, though. So if you're going to take the money and go instead of staying because Dabo's not going to have you if you go on another visit, not a commitment, a visit to another campus, or you just go and don't tell him. I go mean, on, you look, go on the I'm sure. Visit. Yeah, that I would hope that if you're a top player, you would be able to say that. Hey, something came up. I do I want guess. to go on this visit. If you have to cut me, cut me, and then I'll go somewhere else. But. He's gotten away with it for a while, which is pretty remarkable. Even with the start of NIL, he's gotten away with it. Chad, coming up, uh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't speak to his family. Hasn't for years. At least there's been no update on that report. Olivia Munn. Wrecked the family. I guess, yeah. He hasn't Came in and said, things. stop speaking to your family if you want to date me. And he said, okay, Olivia, I'll do just that. No connection whatsoever. But there's, a, there's an NBA head coach that told Aaron Rodgers through some recent actions, hey, Hold my beer. That's next on Hot Mike. There are priorities in coaching and sports, and then there are just head scratchers. Priorities in the wrong corner. Ty Lue, the head coach of the Clippers, he's on the pivot. Chad, he uh, he has lost, this is, I mean, sad. He's lost seven family members since December. And he was qualifying that with what it takes to, you know, coach a good team, what he looks for, what he tries to instill in the players and what he wants to project to the locker room, which was team first, uh, be good people, um, be giving, you know, all these different things, all great. And by all accounts, Tyron Lue is a good coach. I mean, he's certainly in the NBA, you can be fired and rehired fairly quickly, but players like playing for him. And that means he's a good coach in the NBA because the players run the league. But they were in the middle of a six-game losing streak, the Clippers. And... He says, hey, I've, got, I've lost seven family members since December, and I haven't been to a single funeral. Even though my family's, you know, they need me and support, I need to be here for my team. Seven family members since December. And he references Mexico. It's Mexico, Missouri, is uh, where his family is. And I would think like, okay, I mean, there have been family members of mine where I did not attend their funeral. But if seven of my family members died in the last four or five months 
Like, yeah, I'm going to go back to my family and take a week. And at that point, the statement's released that he needs to be with his family, and all is well. I don't think a week makes a difference in the long game for the league, first of all, and your team. And even before that, what it says about values and importance of family in your life. That's odd and bizarre that he tried to use it or did use it as a reason why he's team first and good for the Clippers and good for that locker room. I would like to know how close these family members were. <laughs> but to me, it doesn't matter. There's seven my, of them, though. My first thought was, At some point, like, out of seven, you're going to get to like a first cousin you were close with or something, right? Yeah. Or but a but, grandparent I mean, or an uncle or an aunt or someone that you knew well. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's just seven you know, distant cousins that you barely talk to, I, I would imagine. But when you brag about something like this, my mind goes to, I hope these were all distant cousins, whatever relatives, step-nephew, niece, whatever, that you barely knew or saw you know, once every three years at a family reunion, and that's why you didn't attend, because this is not something to brag about. We've talked a lot about perspective over the last few days, given what happened in, in Nashville yesterday with the shooting, given the murder involving the Alabama basketball team, and how Alabama handled it. And now you have a coach bragging about seven deaths in his family that he would not attend a funeral because they were in a losing streak. It would be one thing if you said, I'm so committed to the job, I would never leave my job unless an immediate family member died. So I skipped seven family member funerals because I'm committed to this team so much. That sounds a little crazy, but that's a little bit more understandable than, I was in a losing streak, so I had to be here with my team during the losing streak and not attend seven funerals. Crazy. And, uh, I mean, he, he, the headlines I've seen for this story, here's one. Clippers coach Ty Lu reveals heartbreaking story that shows how difficult NBA coaches' lives are. Um, that's the exact opposite of what I took for what he said. Even though they're having a casual conversation on the pivot, it was, hey, I didn't go you know, support my family because my team needed me, whatever. Like it, to me that it's just a, it's sad that he feels like it's necessary to stay in the middle of a five or six game losing streak instead of going back to his hometown with uh, what could be a, a quick in and out hit on a, a, a plane, you know? Yeah. At least one of these funerals, you probably could have been back in time and not missed a single game. You would, would think so. I would think so. Th the lack of perspective is jarring. And the other thing that's jarring is, I'm sure there's some fans who are thinking, heck yeah, that's our coach. This guy's family members die, and he's not even going there. That's how committed he is to this team. It was just a lack of family values. He may have great team values, but I mean, that's not the example I would want to say. Oh, no, I'm saying and there I'm not are, saying he, there are fans who are celebrating NBA, him because... Oh, yeah, because he's there. He's committed to the team, their team, and not his family. Or I would argue, hey, we're in the middle of a losing streak. Please leave. See if that changes. Shake things up a little bit. Guys, I got a couple of uncles who died in the last month, so I'm going to go check out those funerals now. You handle it. You figure it out. Let's see if we can pull ourselves out of this losing streak while I'll go away and tend to family. Maybe this will help the team. You're right. Maybe that's exactly what the team needed at that time was for him to go to a funeral. And he made it sound like they're all get from away the same from town, them. Mexico, Missouri. By the I've, way, what driven, a I've driven through Mexico, Missouri many times like? on the way to Nebraska. I don't actually go through the town. I see the exit. It's on uh, – Matt will know this because it goes through Iowa. Interstate 29 – I think as the interstate goes north and south, 
you go up to Kansas City and you get on, it starts with a two. It's 26 or 29. And you go north from Kansas City to Omaha. Okay. And you go through Northwest Missouri. And I think it's in Northwest Missouri, yeah, Mexico, you've, Missouri. You've had to drive this way too long. I have. And then you go through a bit of Iowa and you ride up the <laughs> side, the eastern side of Nebraska, ride up I 29 up until you get to Omaha and cut over. And that's the way to the in laws. So I know the area well. I Population of 11,400. That's about right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure that's it. Every time I check the population when I go through. Wow, it's the home of the Miss Missouri pageant. It is the main street of the Midwest, <laughs> according to this photo. And of the welcome Mexico, sign. Missouri was formerly known as New Mexico, Missouri. What was that uh, debate like, I wonder, at the, uh, the city council? Do you think they filed for a trademark over Mexico the way the Red Sox are over the city of Boston? And they lost the trademarks. They said, okay, so the state of New Mexico owns it. We'll go with Mexico. And no one could take that from us in this country. Or the county came through with an annex and said, we're taking the new part of New Mexico. Right. You can be old Mexico. Keep your Mexico. I, I would actually like old Mexico, Missouri, better than just Mexico. Or New Mexico. That'd be a good way to go. This is old Mexico. I don't want to live there if my family's you know, dying this often. Yeah, he clearly doesn't value the community as much as his family who stayed behind. He's not even making it back for a single funeral. <laughs> just... Tyron Lue said, when I went to the University of Nebraska to play basketball, I told myself, I'm never going back to that damn Mexico, Missouri. And I kept my word that I've not been back since. I've not been to a single funeral, wedding, any child's main event, nothing. Even when my niece was in the Miss Missouri pageant in my hometown of Mexico, Missouri, I told my family, I will not be there to support it. You will not see me there. And he stuck to that. What a guy. What a guy, that Tyrone Lowe. Historic Mexico, Missouri, home of Ty Lue and Main Street of the Midwest. I do like that slogan. That's better for like a St. Louis instead of Gateway. Main I feel Street. like every town on the way up there. By the way, thanks, Matt, for hooking me up on that, that interstate. <laughs> he just stared blankly at me. Sure, that sounds right. The guy's from Iowa, I thought. He has no clue. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know interstates that go through there. He drives everyone a tractor, apparently. It's all, it's all dirt roads for Matt when he goes home in the Midwest. Hey, man, I, I, I miss the dirt roads sometimes. No interstates, no traffic. Matt's used to it, though. Farm boy Hutton is coming back. I do. I love it. Uh, hit us up with your thoughts at OutKick. Chad, so um, you've got a big game tonight, Yankees and Red Sox. Let's set the over-under. Um, I would say combined over-under 15 and a half. And I'm going to set the spread for the Yankees. Uh, excuse me, the Red Sox are the favorite, your team. Um, nine, you're going to win by nine runs. I'm excited that one of my assistant coaches set the lineup tonight, so I could I can now adjust give it. some of the delegate some of the responsibility. So you can now adjust. But I also want them to see that like it's the lineup part is not the hard one. Yeah, it's when you have 12 girls on your team that are in the field at once, and you've got six outfielders on the field at one time, and in little kid ball, and having to rotate and play that jigsaw puzzle of trying to get girls in the infield and rotating positions. Every inning is a different position. And then having six outfielders, way harder than just setting a lineup 1 through 12 in the batting lineup. So I'm glad now that an assistant coach took on that responsibility and got to see that it's a little bit tricky. So I'm excited about that. And Hutton, I have two rules with our little Red Sox. Every time we get together, we're going to have fun and we're going to get better. So I ask them two rules every time. Before the game and after. As long as we accomplish those two rules, we're having fun. But you know what's a lot more fun? 
winning and not losing. That's right. I also remind him of that every Keep game. score. And we are currently 2-0. So going for 3-0 and tonight. And not accepting a trophy if you finish second. No, we will throw that trophy. I will have our girl <laughs> with the best arm chuck that trophy somewhere and let someone else pick it up. I can't wait to see Evie do that. That'll be fun. Hey, the race is on for contract negotiations with quarterbacks, and it started with one third-year QB. That's next. 